verses 6 through 8. Matthew chapter number 5, verses 6 through 8. And our subject this evening is righteousness and blessedness. Righteousness and blessedness. In Matthew chapter number 5, let's look together at verses 6 through 8. Verse number 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Although our emphasis or our subject is primarily on verse number 6, tonight we're going to be looking at verses 6, 7, and 8 that all in some way surround and support the thoughts in which Jesus gives us in verse number 6. Of course, we realize in these first three Beatitudes, we've been called to witness the exercises of the heart. And what I mean by that is, is we've been called upon by the Lord to look upon our heart that has been awakened by the Spirit of God. In other words, we have to come to a place where we sense we have a real need. We have a need and realizing that apart from God and apart from His worthiness and apart from His righteousness, we have nothing and we are empty-handed. We have also learned that secondly, that there must be a judging of ourselves. We have to come to a place where we fully are conscious of our guilt, we're aware of our sin, and we are brought to a place that we actually sorrow over that condition. But thirdly, we've also learned that there has to come a point in time when we stop trying to find a way to justify ourselves before God. And in order to do that, we've learned that we have to abandon all of any pretense that we might have of believing that we somehow have personal merit that makes us worthy to receive that which God has given us. It has been said by one commentator of old that in order to do this, we must take our place in the dust before God. In other words, we find ourselves that before God, we are nothing more than dust. And in this fourth principle tonight, we turn our eyes away completely from ourselves and we turn them unto Christ. This phrase, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, this is this longing that we have, this desire, this, this drive to know more about who God is and know more about His righteousness. What does it mean to really hunger and thirst after righteousness? Well, it means that we are longing for God's favor. We're not only longing for God's favor, but we're longing to be conformed into the image of His Son and honestly, like the word blessed means, we are longing for that spiritual joy or spiritual happiness. When we see the word righteousness in the context tonight, we understand that this is a term that describes all the spiritual blessings that are in God. We know verses such as Matthew 6.33 that says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So righteousness here specifically has reference 
to a couple of different aspects of righteousness. Obviously, the first aspect of righteousness is the righteousness of faith, where we as a sinner have been justified freely by the divine grace of God. We have been freely justified. We are justified by that free grace that is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. As a result of our standing in Christ, as a result of our righteousness in Christ, and because of His obedience, His obedience has now been imputed to us. We stand legally righteous before God. We've learned a little bit about this this past Sunday. Think about it for a moment. We as sinners... Even now, we are constantly guilty, continually guilty of breaking the law of God in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. We're reminded every single day of our lack of righteousness. We are destitute of our own righteousness. Our daily sin reminds us that we are destitute of anything that is self-righteous. But we do know that even though the Bible tells us in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. We do know that there is a righteousness been provided in Christ. A perfect righteousness. A righteousness that is not based upon the merits of the recipient, but is based upon the, the merits of the individual who is giving that righteousness. God has provided a perfect righteousness in Christ for all who believe. It's best demonstrated, I believe, in the story of the, the, the lost son. It's often referred to as the prodigal son, but it's best to remember that that story is not so much about a prodigal son as it is about a lost son. And yet, we know that it is God who has put his very best upon that loss that is returned unto him. That robe of righteousness we refer to. You see, it's the merits of Christ's righteousness and His perfect keeping of the law that has been reckoned to the very account of every sinner who has found their hope and their trust in Him. So what is Jesus doing in this portion of the sermon? Well, He's using very similar uh, terms that He has used previously. He's using the word blessed. He continues to talk about those who are blessed. Blessed are they. A specific group of people have this blessing upon them. I would submit to you tonight that the very same people he calls blessed are the same people who have Christ's righteousness. So there is a direct connection between righteousness and blessedness. To be blessed is to be righteous. Not self-righteousness, but righteousness that's found in the perfect obedience in Jesus Christ. And his righteousness has now been imputed to us. So you cannot be blessed and be unrighteous before God. Someone may consider themselves blessed because of material possessions, but true blessedness is always connected with righteousness. So in order to be righteous, I must have this righteousness of Christ. So what Jesus is doing in verses 6, 7, and 8 is he is pronouncing those who are blessed. And then he gives the reason why they are blessed. Now it's very similar to what we have been seeing. 
But we're also seeing a little bit different in the terminology in which Jesus is using. So each one of these three particular points are going to begin with the phrase, the character of the persons. In other words, the character of the persons in which Christ pronounces blessed are. All right. So the first one here, the character of the persons whom Christ pronounces blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now that seems simplistic, that seems direct, but that's the exact wording that Jesus is using. He says, those people that I pronounce blessed are the ones who actually hunger and thirst after the righteousness. The Lord Jesus calls those people who hunger and thirst after that. He means that the individual who desires above all things to be conformed into the image of God are the ones who are hungry and thirsty for it. In other words, it, it, it becomes their very, the, the very purpose of why they live. My very purpose in seeking after God is, is I'm thirsting more to be conformed into not only the image of Christ, but I want to be conformed to the mind of God. I want to know God's mind. They long not for the earthly things, They don't long for material gain. They long for the righteousness of God to continually be reminded in them. They want to be holy. They want to to live a life that reflects what has happened to them. They want to live a life that is, is evidenced by its righteousness. They want to say, as David says in Psalm 17, 15, and I love this prayer of David. He said, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. You see, David longed for the righteousness of God more than anything else. David longed for the righteousness of God more than he longed for the, the throne that he sat upon. Now, David had moments, of course, where his, his kingship seemed to overwhelm his spiritual life, but he longed for God. And he says, when I behold thy face in righteousness, I shall be satisfied. David shows us there, and just like Christ is teaching us here, that our full satisfaction And our filling that he talks about here, our satisfaction comes with the righteousness of Christ. That truly is a blessed person. They're not full of their own righteousness. They long for more of that which comes from Christ. Now, they're they're not asking to be saved more. They're not asking to be more accepted in the beloved. They're longing for what righteousness does which is going to produce a different way of life. They not only want to be right with God, they want to be right with other people. You know, one thing that's, I think, sadly beginning to miss from a lot of our Christian desires and our Christian walk is we want to be right with God, but do we want to be right with mankind? Do we want to be right with one another? I'm not talking about compromising on sin, but I'm simply saying we ought to want to be right with each other. We ought to have a desire to to live in unity. 
We ought to long to see righteousness not just in our own lives, but we want to we long to see Christ's righteousness in this world. I know it seems as if we've already cra- we've already crossed the point of no return, and maybe we have from a human perspective. But that ought, that should not stop our desire for wanting God's righteousness to spread throughout this world. We should still hunger for that. We should still thirst for righteousness to be in our schools and righteousness to be in our churches and His righteousness to be in our homes. Even if we maybe never see it, the believer is longing for that. That's what we want more than anything. And yet, this type of longing, Jesus describes this longing as if it were hunger and thirst. I know there are some days in the physical realm... We don't get extremely hungry. We don't get extremely thirsty. We live, in a, we live in a nation that you get a twinge of hunger or a twinge of thirst, you just satisfy it. We have, most of us, if not all of us, have means to solve that issue. Now, we could fall into a weird part of the day where, where we make that old cliche statement, I'm starving to death, and we, we say that so, like, as if we really understand that. We're not. But he's talking about something more than just this. I, I've just got a, a twinge of hunger or a twinge of thirst. He's talking about as a, as a starving man and a parched person, you're hungering and thirsting after that type of righteousness. This is a passion for it. Now God does work and He puts in us, in His people, He's working and putting in us an unquenchable desire for Him. This is one of those mysteries of God we sometimes struggle a little bit with that when God saves us, He doesn't save us to not have a desire for Him. He begins to, to put, in the, put in our hearts the desire for more and more and more of Him. I love the promise. Those who hunger and thirst will be filled. Again, that word filled has the idea or the, the, the tense of being satisfied. You see, the blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness and they will be satisfied. They will will find satisfaction. Listen, friends, there's not a thing in this world that is going to satisfy you completely. There's not enough money. There's not enough possessions. There's not enough people. There's not enough things that will bring you full satisfaction. That we could actually say, I'm full. But he says, those who seek after righteousness and hunger and thirst after it, they'll actually find satisfaction. And we have to understand, we live contrary. The world is contrary to this idea. The world is contrary in that it wants you to seek and it wants you to try to find satisfaction in the world. The whole goal of this world is for you to try to find satisfaction in it. And yet, everyone is left empty. Because the only satisfaction, the only fullness comes from Jesus Christ Himself. We look forward today. And we look forward to the future of a time when in heaven we will be satisfied 
eternally, eternally satisfied. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. I read this today. He said, righteousness ultimately means being like the Lord Jesus Christ. Righteousness ultimately means being like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an amazing thought here. So, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Secondly, verses 7 and 8 show us the character of the persons whom Christ pronounces blessed are those who are merciful and pure in heart. What does it mean to be merciful? Verse 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. The Lord now calls those who are blessed are people who are also merciful. Those who are full of compassion. Those who are full of compassion towards others. Those who have pity. Those who pity those who suffer from either sin or from sorrow. They desire to make people's sufferings less. Imagine that. Imagine being so merciful that our desire is to make people suffer less. The merciful are full of good works. They endeavor to do good. They will not only reap something good in this life, but they'll reap even in the life to come. I believe the merciful are also they're forgiving people. Why should we be forgiving people? Why should we extend mercy to people? Because we've been forgiven and God has shown mercy to us. We ought to judge people rightly and judge situations charitably. We ought to help those who are in need. Why? Because we've been helped in our need. What we are to others... Jesus Himself told His disciples this, that He would be to them. You know, sometimes we, we, labor, we labor in a hard way to try to be kind. But ultimately, the greatest demonstration of our kindness is in our mercy. How we demonstrate mercy... Followers, I believe, of Jesus must be men and women of mercy. Why? Because they found mercy and mercy found them. We ought to look for opportunities to be merciful. And show mercy. I hope that's not something we as believers lose sight of, how important it is to be merciful. And in verse 8, he says, blessed are the pure in heart. And this is an important statement, for they shall see God. The Lord Jesus calls those blessed who are pure in heart. To be pure in heart means I'm not aiming simply at outward correctness, but I'm aiming at inward holiness. In other words, to be pure in heart is not just something that's on the outside. To be pure in heart is something that's inwardly. I think this goes right against what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees. He says, listen, we're not, we're not looking for just an outward external show of religion. No, we're looking for inward holiness. 
We're looking for a real change in our life. It means keeping our heart and our conscience void of offense. We serve God with the Spirit and we serve God with the totality of our man. 1 Samuel 16, 7, paraphrased here, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We can very much clean up the outside and realize that the inside, as Jesus told the Pharisees, that inside the cup was filthy. The person who is most spiritually minded towards their own purity has the most communion with God. Our hearts, if they're filled with corruption, if our hearts are filled with impurity, they will dim the view you have of God. The more we allow our hearts to move into impure things and impure thoughts, it makes our ability to see God lessen. That's what he's talking about here. He says the pure in heart, they shall see God. It's a great reward to be able to see God. It's a great reward to be able to desire a pure heart. Imagine what he's saying here. They shall see God. I think every believer wants to see God. I think every believer truly wants and is looking forward to that day when we actually will see Him and we'll stand with Him face to face. We'll see Him as He is. We shall be like Him. But understand something, that there is no self-made pure in heart. The heart can only be made pure as God has made them so. Nobody will see God who has not been purified by the grace of God. David himself prayed and asked and told, asked the Lord, create in me a clean heart that I may behold thee both now and forever. That's what David wanted. David wanted a clean heart. There's a couple of things. I, these are very simple thoughts tonight, but I think there's a, a couple main lessons we can learn from this tonight. First of all, that only those who are spiritually hungry and thirsty for Christ and His righteousness are truly happy. Although happiness is not the first desire, it's not the first thing we're looking for, it does come as we spiritually seek Him. We are blessed. When you hunger and you thirst after Him, you find out you are in a happy and a blessed position. To hunger and thirst after holiness is to understand and to gain and grasp the worth of what it means to have that righteousness. What is it worth to you? What is it worth to actually have the righteousness of Christ? We sense that we don't want to live without it. We sense that we want more of it. We have an unquenchable desire for the righteousness of Christ. Thirdly, we learn that truly the merciful man is a blessed man. Why is that man blessed? Because he has obtained mercy, and when he most needs and wants that mercy, he receives it. And I'm glad that God's mercy was not just a one-time demonstration. God extends and shows His mercy day after day, month after month, year after year. 
Every day we're living under the shadow of God's mercy. Every day. God's mercy is sustaining us. God's mercy is being extended to us. But we ought to also desire to be merciful to others. It's a sad day when we want mercy shown to us, but we're not willing to show mercy to someone else. Well, what does all of this call to us? What does all this require of us? What's the responsibility? A purity of heart and a pure life is the only way we see God. A clean heart is accompanied by a clean life. Folks, what we do on the outside is just merely a reflection of what's really going on on the inside. It's not contrary. What, what you see on the outside is what's going on on the inside. It's, it's the heart. That's truly what's happening. When there's a principle of God's grace that is, is at work in our lives, there's going to be an act of grace upon our lives. We're not going to be able to just simply live like we used to live. We're, we're, we have God's grace is acting upon us. We can't live without it. Imagine when the heart has been cleansed from its sin. Imagine at our conversion, the eyes of our heart, we begin to see. We begin to see what we couldn't see before. We now see sin for what it really is. We begin to see ourselves for what we really are. The heart now has a love for God more than a love for itself. That heart goes from loving self to loving Christ. What it means to see God is not just seeing God, it's not seeing God with our physical eyes, it's seeing God with those spiritual eyes. You see, when we talk about God opening our eyes, we're not just merely talking about God just opening our eyes physically, we're, we're talking about God actually opening spiritual eyes to see truth. So when, when Jesus says this, and he says, for they shall see God, what did he mean? There is no way to perceive nor any way to see God unless that heart has been renewed by sovereign grace. Man cannot make his heart pure to see God. But God's grace and his sovereign grace is what opens the eyes of the heart to be able to see who He really is. You see, it's sovereign grace that not only showed us who He is, but it's sovereign grace that showed us who we are. It's, it is the ultimate demonstration of God's grace that He allowed us to see ourselves and our sin. Listen, for us to see God, it's not... It's not the greatness of our education. It's not the greatness of our intellect. It's not the greatness of our ability to debate. It's the purity of our affection. The purity of our affection that enables us to see God. What we set our heart upon is what allows us to see God. To hunger and thirst after righteousness. To be people of mercy. To be pure in heart. They are the ones that see God. There's absolutely no way of seeing God until that corrupted heart is renewed by God's sovereign grace. 
Next week as we continue, Jesus begins this final section and He deals with peacemakers and the persecuted. He's now going to take the principle of righteousness and He's going to tell them that the peacemakers are the blessed ones. They are the ones who will be called the children of God. But he's, then he's going to introduce this concept. Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. It seems so contrary. Now, he connects not only this blessedness and righteousness, but he says, if you are persecuted for this, he's going to use... Words such as, be exceedingly glad that you, because your reward is in heaven. Blessed are you, he'll say, when men revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And he says, rejoice. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. I hope tonight we can say that my greatest longing in this world, my greatest longing is to know more about Him and more about Christ and His righteousness. Let's stand together tonight. We'll be dismissed in prayer. I hope... The Lord has given us much to think upon tonight. And I trust that that's exactly what we'll do is think upon these great truths. Let's pray. Father, as we bring this time of corporate worship to a close, Father, I'm grateful that we've had the opportunity to be in Your Word. Lord, to be reminded of the great truths in which maybe many of us have heard It's not the first time we've heard the words from the Sermon on the Mount, but Lord, maybe tonight it has just, it's affected us in a way that maybe it hasn't before. Lord, may we truly desire you above all else. May we truly desire to see God. Lord, thank you for bringing us to a place by your sovereign grace where we saw ourselves for what we really are and what we were unable to do. Unable to produce any of our own righteousness. Unable to provide any of our own worth that would give us standing before you. And Father, before this world even began, it was determined that the Lord Jesus Christ would be the substitute, the surety. And that he would come to this earth and take on that robe of human flesh without ceasing to be God, and He would become sin for us. And we are so grateful for that sacrifice tonight. Lord, help us to think upon not only His death, His burial, but may we rejoice in His resurrection, realizing that He did not stay in that grave, and He proved His power over death, hell, sin, and the grave by His resurrection, but even more than that, He proved that you were satisfied with the payment. Lord, I pray that you will go with us now as we leave this place, and may we meditate on these truths. We love you, we thank you, and it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.
Thank you for being here tonight. We'll look forward to seeing you Sunday. And man, if you're able to be with us Saturday morning at 8 o'clock for our Saturday morning theology, we'd love to have you there. Uh, Lord bless you. Thank you for being here.